Hi folks, before we start the podcast, um, just a bit of housekeeping. We are live on Sunday in the Sugar Club. Uh, tickets are available now on eventbrite.ie. Uh, search Tortoise Shack. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a brilliant night. Really genuinely can't tell you um, how much I'm looking forward to being back on stage in front of a live audience. Uh, please grab your tickets, come along. Let's have a great night. Let's enjoy ourselves. Um, even if this topic coming up next is a bit heavy. A reminder, these podcasts have no ads, no sponsors. It relies on you, the listeners, to pay it forward. If you could, I'd really appreciate if you'd go to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack so I can continue to do this work. Uh, we can continue to keep this platform independent, editorial free, and keep in producing these stories, these conversations that so many of you are listening to, thousands are listening to. I could really do with a few of you putting your hands in your pockets. Um, so I, before that, I let you go listen to my most recent conversation with Lesia Vasilenko um, and what is going on today in the Ukraine. Um, you're also, oh, just to let you know before you go there, I just recorded with Konstantin Gordiev as well, and that's available now on the Patreon feed. If you've missed it, uh, grab it as soon as you can. Thanks for the support, and I'll let you listen to your podcast now. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves, and this is part of our continued coverage of events in Ukraine. Um, I'm hoping to be joined shortly by Lesia Vasilenko, uh, Ukrainian opposition MP on events that have happened today in Kiev. Um, Lesia is literally connecting as we speak. I'll be back to you as soon as she's available. I am delighted to be rejoined on the line, and I really am delighted to be rejoined on the line uh, from by Ukrainian MP Lesia Vasilenko. Lesia, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, great to talk to you as well. I'm very happy to be back. Yeah, it, you're you're back, um, and today was a very big day where the Ukrainian Parliament met um, in person for the first time since this all started to happen. Can you give listeners a kind of idea of? What, why you did it, uh, how you all got together in the most um, targeted building possibly in the world at the moment, and, and what the general consensus is currently in, in Ukraine and, and in Kiev. Well, actually, uh, I'll just correct you on that. It was the second time that we met since Putin declared war on Ukraine. The first time was on the day uh, when uh, the war was declared. That was 24th of February. And we yeah. met to, to declare a martial law in Ukraine. And then today was the second time when we were gathered in person in the parliament building, which at this point in time is the most targeted building, both by the Russian Air Force and the Russian military, as is the whole of the government quarter. But uh, if you ask me why, why was that risk taken by so many parliamentarians, it was a must because we did what we had to do. Uh, we were voting on the laws that would ensure that our military could do the most to defend our civilian population and could do it legally within the legal framework. So we were amending a set of laws that would expand the uh, the powers, the authority of our military and allow them to act with uh, the maximum possible resources to ensure the defense of the country and hence the security of the Ukrainian people. So the laws we were voting on were the extension of the um, 
of the uh, mobilization regime in Ukraine. Also, we were voting on the law that gives rights to carry arms to the civilian population so that civilians can get armed and uh, can uh, use those firearms to protect themselves and their families and not be uh, later on brought to liability because of that. And another important law that we voted on was that on further sanctions uh, against the Russian Federation from within Ukraine, uh, this law essentially means that now the Ukrainian government can expropriate any assets that are here in Ukraine but are owned by Russians, Russian companies or Russian uh, citizens or nationals. And finally, we also voted on a resolution uh, calling on the international community to organize humanitarian lifts and humanitarian corridors so that civilians can leave cities that are being encircled, such as Kharkiv or Volnovakha or Kahovka uh, or even Kiev for that matter. That's a lot. Um, um, I mean, obviously, it's it's wartime, and you are now effectively in 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 what I don't think it's unfair to say is a, is a war zone now. Uh, and it's when you when you say that those, these changes for for people to to expor, expropriate uh, Russian um, businesses and stuff, these are sort of things that we you know we may be called for when it comes to you know natural resources and and the likes. But to see it, it done in real time, I've seen reports from Russian media in the last little while saying that they're effectively their capital markets are is closed and and that that, that it's it's really having a damaging impact on their economy the outside of that though the tanks that were making their way the last time we spoke um have been delayed by a manner of fierce fighting according to some reports and by you know um that, that there's been bra- br- uh, bridges have been disabled roads have been made impassable you might give me a sense of how you feel now that the the actual russian uh advancement is going if you don't mind well the russian advancement is still going strong and uh, they are still sending in more and more forces into Ukraine. They are attacking more and more citizens and uh, cities. Uh, So we still are on a very high alert. But I think that now we have come to terms with the fact that this war is not going to end anytime soon and that the whole country needs to stay on constant high alert and it's it's just a situation which we have to accept and just fight back for however long the situation is going to last. But you are absolutely correct. This convoy, um, which was uh, several dozen miles long that we discussed earlier, uh, that was set to encircle Kiev, it is now broken up into p- bits and pieces and it's no longer a threat to Kiev, but we still expect that uh, they will be uh, reorganizing their forces and they will be sending more reinforcement to make sure that Kiev is encircled because after all, Putin has still not given up on his primary task to see Kiev fall and to install a puppet government inside Kiev and thus run Ukraine from Moscow. 
Um, I, I, I want to just, if we can bring it outside of Ukraine for a moment, for it just, I don't know if you saw that, that the, in, in Germany, um, the Russian oligarch Usmanov's, um, super yacht has been seized. Apparently, uh, we've seen so many access to particular Russian banks has made it more difficult, whereby we haven't depleted all of, um, the $600 billion that they'd set aside for this venture, but they've made it difficult to access much of that money. The EU has been fairly categorical in saying, you know, that in, without without supporting necessarily, uh, you know, fast-tracking Ukraine's membership of the EU, they have certainly done taken steps. Have have the people in Ukraine felt that this, this has been enough or have they felt that, the, that, that more needs to be done? Well, definitely people in Ukraine continue to call out to the international community for a, a fly-free zone over Ukraine because this is the only thing that we feel can really deter all these uh, blatant attacks on the civilian population that are coming from the air because Russians uh, are sending in more and more missiles and more and more fighter jets and it's growing increasingly hard to protect our skies. So uh, again and again, Ukrainian parliamentarians and Ukrainian government and the president call for a no-fly zone over Ukraine. And if not over Ukraine, then at least over the major cities and also uh, the cities which have nuclear power stations. We have five of those across the country. And if a missile hits those, uh, either by accident, but by now I don't believe that the Russian army is making any mistakes. Uh, so I would say that if a deliberate missile is launched at one of those five nuclear power stations, then we are looking at a nuclear disaster all across Europe and all across the world. So in order to uh, um, delay, delay and deter that from happening, what we really need is the snow-fly zone over what, the whole of Ukraine. And what do you say to the people who will tell you that once we do that, that, that means NATO have now engaged in a war and we're, that we are now effectively at what is people what people are commonly called World War Three. Well, look, uh, I would like the whole world community to uh, lay down their rose-colored glasses and to face the truth. We are in World War Three. It's not just about Ukraine anymore. All those countries that have imposed sanctions on Russia are essentially being listed in the Russian uh, doctrine on defense and security, on the national strategy as enemies number one. So what that means is that at any point in time, Putin is free to start attacking those countries. Will he do that? No, he won't, because he simply doesn't have the resources to do that. So if uh, British planes or American planes start flying into Ukrainian airspace and protecting our citizens, our children and our women uh, from being uh, attacked and bombed by the Russians, uh, essentially uh, it will be just saving the civilian population of Ukraine. It will be just about saving Ukraine, not about starting a war on Russia, because Russia has already started a war on the world. And Russia will never have the guts or the resources to attack um, NATO countries. And uh, we can go as far as 
deliberate on the fact that Putin has gone mad and he has already threatened the world with a nuclear war. So that means that essentially there's nothing stopping him from sending fighter jets over uh, to, uh, to, to, to the UK or to the US and but attack even, them. But he doesn't have, have those jets. He doesn't have those jets. I, I agree with you, but we don't even have to go that far. We, we're looking at now a million people have fled the U- Ukraine. We've seen people trying to cross the borders. It, it only takes if if it's not even theoretical. If there was a if there was a passage of fire between so, uh, Russian troops on the side of the border with Poland, which is, shares a large border, where people are trying to flee, that is an act of war already. So we have to be cognizant of that's how close this is. But in terms of the people who who remain, I've seen now three babies now born. I've seen people in in living in subways. I've seen this. How is the civilian population be treated in terms of? And um, um, I know the last time you spoke. You were desperately saying we need humanitarian corridors to get children, people who are vulnerable, people with disabilities out of the country or to safe areas where they need to go. Has there been enough done? And as a government, really, are the NGOs you know, helping and are the international community helping? No, the NGOs aren't here. They they aren't present. So the OSCE and the International Red Cross, they just left uh, at the first possibility of leaving. And now all the letters that we sent to the International Committee of the Red Cross uh, are getting a response saying that, oh, look, we're in negotiations. We're trying to get the Russians on board. And okay, I understand there are procedures that both countries have to agree that it's a humanitarian corridor so that they don't attack it. But... uh, Uh, I'm sure that there are ways around it because at the end of the day, there are people getting killed. So the convoys, the humanitarian convoys that Ukraine is organizing right now to to make sure that people get a chance to get out, they're getting shot at by the Russians. Just this morning, as I was making my way into Kiev and I was deciding which way to go because uh, most ways into Kiev are blocked off, I got the news that the, the passage I was going to use, it was impossible to go through because because, in fact, uh, the buses which uh, the Ukrainian government was sending out of Kyiv, which were full, uh, packed full of uh, children and women, uh, were being shot at uh, by Russian diversion groups, which uh, just find, uh, got stationed around the towns, uh, which, which was at the exit from Kyiv. And that is absolutely savage. That is absolutely... Uh, it's a war crime. That's a, it's a war. It's a war crime. It's a war it, crime. It's a, yeah. a war crime. It's a crime against humanity. It's a crime against civilians, and uh, basically, it's absolutely inhumane behavior. Because who would choose to shoot at children? I mean, who do you have to be? It's not a soldier with a gun. It's well, it's innocent children. I tried to, don't I, want I, to be trapped in this. I tried to explain. We were talking to Alan Moore in Moscow yesterday, a journalist, and you know the the makeup of the 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 Russian army is is not just the Russian army. It's it's also Chechen um, army. It's 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 the mercenary group that are um, you know highly trained and and highly highly skilled uh, unfortunately mercenaries assassins in many ways and uh, some belarusian troops as well so it's it's not just one it's already a a mixed match and and unfortunately some of the, some of these people are there uh, for profit as well the 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 danger though obviously we keep hearing about people who are on um, Putin's kill list, and of course, your president is is one, and several of your your colleagues and your MP, uh, your your friends in the parliament are. What do you, do you, do you feel that 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 this is really now like? Because 
I when we spoke, I remember you said that it was last week we thought they could only go on for about nine days is what they could resource this, but it feels very much like they're trying to to actually put more resources in the field and like a deployment of like quarter of a million troops. It's a lot of, it's a lot of soldiers in, in someone else's sovereign state. Does it, it doesn't feel like me nine days is going to, this is going to go on last year. I, it feels really, really sadly, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it looks like, uh, Putin is, is a psycho. And of course he gets along with other psychos. So he's just sending, all these uh, mad psychopathic maniacs to fight this war in Ukraine. These are the mercenaries uh, you refer to so nicely. Uh, but in fact, it's, it's just that. And um, uh, the rest of it is uh, what we have confirmed is that they have around 180,000 troops already in Ukraine. And that's, that's a huge amount. Um, and they can keep sending more because essentially they have 1 million active military and 800,000 somewhere in the reserves. Uh, it's going to keep sending them and sending them. And of course, they are going to outnumber the Ukrainian army. And of course, it's going to tire our soldiers out, uh, no matter what superheroes they are. But uh, to, to deal with the 1 million army when you're three times as small as that, uh, it's is just exhausting and it's just a, a big, big challenge, but which I'm afraid we need help tackling. Absolutely. This is this is the truth. Like the resources are needed. The, the, the funds are required. The support is required. All of these things are required. But I ultimately, they won't, I, you know, trying to occupy a country as large and as populated as Ukraine, which Based on some of the people who I've even spoken to um, in in general conversations, I, I spoke to um, Zola Zola Condor in, in Berlin. You know, there are people who were not necessarily very nationalistic before this, but they're certainly proud of their country, and they they are they're not willing to see Ukraine become a a servant state of the of the of Russia. So, I mean, it, it does seem to me that ultimately they can't they won't be able to occupy it, but. Well, how what damage they do between now and then? I mean, cities have been felled, like destroyed, like um, and some of the footage is very distressing. Has there been in terms of arms coming through? In terms of the the your your own troops, your own people? I saw Kiev today getting ready, where they put out the 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 old the, the blockades on the roads, preparing for an invasion. Is the sense that this is just going to be a matter of time before the the, the fighting is 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 right in the heart of the capital? Uh, well, we're doing everything to make sure that they don't enter the capital and that the fighting remains on the ground just with, with smaller, uh, special, uh, diversive groups. So, and we're able to, to tackle that quite well. Um, I, other than that, what the Russians are doing is that they are sending in the air force and they're sending in their missiles. And, um, essentially that is very difficult to, to hold off and this is why you hear these almost hysterical cries coming from the ukrainian members of parliament and the government for a no-fly zone over kiev and over ukraine and um 
the difficulty is that again we come back to the same question is if we have the no fly zone then doesn't that mean that uh the uk or nato whoever announces war on russia mm. and essentially i say that no it doesn't mean that because russia has already announced war on the whole world I, I again uh, like that's 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 a question above uh, both of our pay grades but I, I do feel you're right to point out the fact that Russia has already declared war that is the that is inevitable and there's already an economic war going on there's already um a lot of I mean we're seeing uh, Roman Abramovich selling Chelsea football club for God's sake you know this stuff is uh, yeah but he's uh, doing that to evade sanctions right yes this is he's it. selling like, it to what to a charity organization. No, but he's been given time to do it, which is the thing. So it's not been seized. Yeah. And, and this is what's, again, back to my point, where I can point at Dublin, I can point to a couple of kilometers in down the road for me and say that we're not doing enough to, to combat um, the movement of shadow banks and, and the monies that, that aren't affected by the, impacted by the SWIFT system, you know? So th- there's not, a, there's much, there is more that can be done. Uh, and, but it, it does also include, you know, it does also include helping Ukraine in ways that saves more lives in a humanitarian way. Uh, let's see, I, look, I, I'm conscious of time. I'm just glad yeah. you're. I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you're 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 okay. But can I can I ask you one thing about the thing in the parliament today? You all stood and you sang the national anthem. Yeah, it, mu- it was very powerful. It must have been a moment, yeah. Yes, definitely. It was very empowering and powerful at the same time because all of the MPs, the several hundred MPs who were gathered there in Parliament today in the singing of the national anthem, each one of us brought our own perception of the pain of the war, which each one of us has witnessed in our constituencies, talking to the people, evacuating families, and patrolling the streets and just fighting on all fronts against this massive Russian aggression. Well, look, let's see, Vasilenko, I won't delay any further. Thank you for talking to us again. Um, I just let you know, I've, I've had I've had hundreds of messages of support from listeners to say to say safe and people's hearts are broken. The idea that you had to drop your children away again and, and that people understand this, that it is a human emotion, that the support is genuine and people people are taking steps, whether it's donating, whether it's been whether it's calling on governments to do more. There is there is much more, but we can continue to do that. Thank Thank you for talking to us again this this evening um, and mind yourself take care tony and martin martin and tony speaking to interesting people only it's the echo chamber podcast subscribe now on page